0: Hello and welcome to Classroom 101, the podcast on all things education, from best practice to the very worst. I'm Andy Hayden, a journalist turned teacher. I created this podcast so that more educators could have access to the ideas and wisdom of our profession's greatest minds. In Classroom 101, we strive to improve education by calling out its least helpful terms, paradigms, systems, or practices, suggesting better alternatives. Our guest this week is Lee Parkinson. Lee's better known as the celebrity teacher Mr P thanks to his helpful ICT tips, an endless stream of hilarious videos and also his propensity to speak up against what he sees as education's many time-wasting practices. So Mr P and Classroom 101 was always going to be a marriage made in heaven. A fan of his work myself, not least his own podcast, I really enjoyed this chat which went on long after recording and I hope you do too. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show.
1: When education's in pretty bad shape, teachers are leaving, a planet never escape. It's not enough time to teach the things you should. Time to manage education, sins, you do it if you could. Time for classroom 101. Time for classroom It's slashing everywhere the government insists it cares Are we raising quality with all the endless scrutiny? If you're hating league tables in those sad, less able labels Time to save our education from self-imposed cremation Time for Classroom 101 Time for Classroom 101 Yeah, it's time for every teacher's favorite podcast Classroom 101 Classroom 101
2: How are we doing?
0: Yeah, very well, thanks. Great to have you on, Mr. P.
2: Oh, no, thank you very much for having me. Looking uh, forward to it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this. I feel like this is
2: right up your street. Send Absolutely, few, yeah.
0: <laughs> send a few things into the bin, right?
2: Uh, just a few. I, I'm <laughs> going to struggle. There's too many. There's too many put in We're going to need, like, uh, a bit of bin man's lorry to take away the amount of stuff that I've got to put in, yeah. <laughs>
0: so i mean typically we we try to stick to three but if you want to go off piste then uh
2: 300, be fine, 300 yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking.
0: yeah no i'm thrilled to have you on um i love everything from your help and resources for teachers to your like mrs may videos that have me in absolute oh. stitches um, thank you and i know you, you've also got your own podcast which i really enjoy you and your brother yeah Poss- possibly the best name for a podcast in the world yeah <laughs> See Mr. P's in the podcast, I just think it's it's almost wrote itself, didn't it?
2: <laughs> it did, yeah. It was, yeah. I don't know. I think you just sort of said it. It was a it was a weird one because we we went we did the big uh, family holiday to Florida last year. My dad retired, and he'd promised us for years that he'd take us all the way to Florida. And it was one of them. We'd had a full day at like Magic Kingdom or wh- wherever it was, and we were sat. We got like the villa, so we sat in the pool at night, and we were just chatting about different sort of stories from the classroom, and we just sort of said. You know, we should record this and put it out as a podcast. And then, within that, within thirty seconds, it was like, "Yeah, we'll just call it like two Mister Ps in a podcast." And that was it. It was impressive history, so they say. It's
0: brilliant. I'd really recommend it to any teachers listening. So Lee, I think the best place to start. uh, Let me put it this way: you're a a teacher trainer. You're a part-time teacher. You've got this online empire. It feels like with all these resources (laughs) and videos. (laughs) You have your podcast with your brother, like we just said. You're, you're a husband you're a father I'm probably missing stuff as well I just want to know how do you do it all
2: um good question it is uh, it's not easy it's tough and you know sometimes I struggle to get the right balance with it all and prioritize the right things but I mean it's 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 one of them I'm, I'm very lucky with with the part-time teaching in that you know, I don't do the faff I don't do the nonsense I do what I know is best for the kids and so you know, don't get bogged down, or I'm not forced in my school to do all this nonsense that is pretty much a waste of time nine times out of ten. Mm. So, you know, that that sort of frees up the time then uh, in other ways. I mean, I think the biggest the biggest time consuming thing at the minute is is the travelling. So, you know, for most of the week, I'm I'm around the country working in schools, and it's that traveling to and from different schools staying in hotels that is the most consuming thing but when I'm in a hotel I'm on my my bill I keep myself busy by making all the Facebook videos to be honest (laughs) um, I really do enjoy knowing that the videos that I put out there can can really um, resonate with so many teachers all around the world and I think that's what's what is the beauty of The sort of messages that I share is that life as a teacher is universal in so many ways, no matter where you are on the planet. And I think for some teachers, it's nice to be able to uh, feel like you're not the only one. If you're you're a teacher that's in a school where you're not being supported, you, you, you know, you're not getting that help and support from other teachers in your school. Social media gives you a way in which you connect with others and you can sort of say, actually, yeah, I'm not the only one. And, you know, I do get messages frequently from teachers who sort of say, you know, they've had a crap day in school. They're struggling with this or struggling with that but they watch this video and you know it's put a smile on their face and when you get messages like that it certainly motivates you to keep keep doing it really knowing that you're, you're making a difference and you're helping others brilliant even if it's some sort of silly videos you know
0: oh they're great i love them I thought there was one i watched the other day mrs may pulling some pun about an adder you know the one oh on? yeah
2: yeah yeah. That, that I mean, really those books out. are amazing <laughs> um I get requests all the time now like when you're going to do another Mrs May book and I'm like there's none I've done them all I think that was one of the first videos that I did that really went viral and it ended up being in the newspapers and it was on quite a few other pages and stuff and it was it was uh amazing so yeah thank Mrs May the, the right Mrs May you know <laughs> the one that I would have had as Prime Minister.
0: <laughs> so can you take us through your career was yeah. it always going to be teaching for you?
2: Um, initially, no. I mean, when I was younger, I was really into acting. Acting was my um, my passion, really. And uh, as, as a kid, I was I did loads of stuff. And and then I went through that sort of awkward teenage stage where, you know, your mates start taking the mick out of you. Hmm. And then it sort of affected. And, and I ended up packing it in about 15, 16, which I always regret, to be honest, because uh, it was one of the... I, I ended up getting shortlisted for a part in Hollyoaks when I was oh, about wow. 15, 16. I got through the first audition. It was to the for the second one, but it clashed with this sevens tournament we did as a school, big national sevens tournament. And I went to sort of like a big rugby school, and so I had to miss the rugby tournament for this chance to be on Hollyoaks. And the lads just gave me so much stick at the time. And um, you know, it's like when you're, you're a teenager, and it just—I just sort of went right. I'll just leave it now. And um, I always look back. I talk about it with my kids. I talk about it with my own children and kids in school to say, you know. If you've got a passion don't let other people bring you down and follow it and i've always said if I, if this went to pot and i had like um you know if the funding carries on the way it's going where schools can't afford toilet paper let alone <laughs> me for cpd um and the, the system stays as toxic as it toxic as it is you know i probably would give myself a year and say right could i do the acting one more time let's give it a go and it's interesting because like at the minute English actors are just everywhere, aren't they? They're sort of the biggest ones in Hollywood now. It's all about getting English actors over. So, but uh, initially, yeah, I wanted to be an actor and I actually applied to, to go to a couple of uh, unis doing acting and performing arts. And um, didn't, it didn't quite work out where I wanted to go. So uh, I ended up doing teaching straight from school. So at 18, got got me A-level results. And then I was at ManMet for a four year BA honours degree in primary education which was uh, was interesting. Um, I mean, I, I came very, very close to quitting at one point. Um, during the training? The, yeah, during the training. So the actual uni course wasn't very useful. You mainly learn most of the stuff on placement. And it was, sort of, I think it was my third year placement. And I ended up at this school that wasn't wasn't too far from where I lived actually. And I hold my hands up like I was living the uni life, you know, it's like 20 years old, on the rugby team. So it was like AU night every Wednesday. You play your game on your Wednesday and then we had to do this placement. And for the first, you do your sort of day visits, don't you? And I, I was sort of, I sort of tried to rearrange one of the day visits so it wasn't on a Wednesday so I could play rugby. <laughs> I don't think that went down very well. But um, as, within a week of starting this placement at this school, the deputy head turned around to me and went, you're not passing this there's no way in a million years we're letting you pass this, this placement now it was a 10-week placement and to say that in my first week I was like oh all oh, right, okay and uh, the school I was at I was going through a massive change because they just they'd had this head teacher for sort of 25 years who had you know done so many things a certain way and then they got this new head teacher in who was drastically different and so there's loads of changes going on there I had still probably to this day one of the worst most challenging classes as far as behavior yet the the SLT wouldn't recognize it so you know I was doing all my teaching and really struggling with stuff and the SLT weren't giving any sort of support they just wouldn't recognize it the class teacher at the time struggled massively with it as well Uh, I mean she was great she was trying her best with me it just was uh, a mixture of things and I remember sitting on my mum's bed one day and sort of going, Mum, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm out for it. Like it really, really sort of beat me down, and I was, I was ready to pack it in and just sort of go, I'm not going to do this anymore. And my mum said to me, Look, it's not you, it's the school. Obviously, this deputy head was just one of the typical toxic leaders who um, just wasn't a very nice person, and so she just said, Get in touch with the uni, just talk to the uni, see what they can do. And to be fair, they sent someone over. Uh, and they spent the morning with me and the actually said look you're not you're not bad here at all it's the school that's the issue and I say this to a lot of teachers all the time because I get messages pretty much every day from teachers who are struggling with certain things and a lot of the time it's like look I don't think it's you it's the school and so she said look see the placement through I'm not going to take on the deputy's view on you because I think she's being harsh Uh, what we'll do is we'll get you into another school and you can do a few weeks there and then we'll use that as you, you know, to get you through the the year. So I ended up going to a school that was literally a mile down the road, and it's funny that you, you know, you got two schools so close to each other but completely different. And uh, did the three weeks there, absolutely loved it. Completely different vibe, really thrived there. The class teacher was just amazing, uh, and it was interesting because I met him again on a course that I did over in Derbyshire. So he sort of moved back to where he grew up and um, I recognized him and I did this keynote at a course and I was like, did you work at this school in this year? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I did my placement with you and you, and I actually mentioned it in the keynote and said, I just want to give a massive thank you to the, to this guy here because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here doing this now because he literally saved my teaching career by making me fall back in love with teaching after such a horrible experience. So um, yeah, I never looked back right. from that. So Final year, ended up at a really good school. Uh, actually, the school my kids go to now did my placement there, and then it was sort of through connections because I was helping out with the football team at the time, and we we're going to a few tournaments and sort of talking to other schools. The head teacher at my current school sort of said, "Look, we've got this position, and I'd be interested in seeing what you can offer." So I ended up getting an interview there, and then that was it. So that was Davy in primary, which I still work at now. I've been there for twelve years. Absolutely love it. Love the staff. Love the kids. It's not perfect, no school is, and we we have our challenges, and I think with what I do now, where I'm visiting schools, and I'm in a position where I'm hearing a lot about other schools, I certainly appreciate the positive parts of my school, and it's an interesting one, because my school, staff turnover's minimum. teachers don't tend to leave, which I think is a very telling sign of a school, you know? Mm the pr- the problem with that not that it's necessarily a problem but what I tend to find now is three quarters of the staff at my school have only ever worked at that school so the littlest things can become the biggest things and for me now I'm sort of seeing all the bad things that are happening in so many schools when I come into my school each week and I hear these sort of teachers moan and groan I'm like listen you don't know you know how well you how good you've got it in certain ways don't get me wrong it's there are challenges but I think it's it's interesting I'm in a position where you know I see the good and the bad and so I certainly appreciate what I've got in my school and yeah so about what would it be now nine years ago we got married 2010 we got married in the summer found out we were expecting in the November uh, October and we went for the scan in November found out we we're having triplets so, <laughs> so yes yeah, so that was fun. so first first bash at having kids ended up having three um Yeah, sort of adopted David Beckham's nickname of Golden Balls. Um, (laughs) Um, And and so, yeah, so the triplets came along in the April. And it's interesting because, like, a lot of my friends now, they're having kids, and, you know, I had them fairly young. I was 25, I think, or 26. And a lot of my friends now are having kids, and it's just great because I sort of strut strut around doing the Conor McGregor walk, as they're asking me, "How did you do it with three when I'm struggling with one?" And I'm just sort of doing that walk, you know, that Conor McGregor walk where his shoulders (laughs) are going, sort of like, "Yeah, that's that's where I'm at." Um, And you know, we were very lucky because we had support from our families. And if there's anyone you know wondering how I've survived with three kids, biggest piece of advice would be routine like from day one from getting them home it was like right six o'clock bath bottle bed every night without fail and you know we had them sleeping through it six months uh which makes life a lot easier but that first year was a was a blur and I was still full-time classroom teaching with with a year four class and it was an absolute blur if I'm being honest with you and towards the end of that year the head teacher sort of sat me down because he knew that I was then going to be looking uh, um, moving further on with my career and p- potentially looking at leadership. And so he said, look, well, to help you and with the circumstances of, you know, having three little kids at home, how about we bring you out of the classroom and you can cover PPA across the school? Because at that point, I'd only ever taught Key Stage 2. Yeah. So it was getting down EYFS Key Stage 1, which, which I was keen to do. And he said, look, we'll look at developing your subject area, which was ICT purely by fluke because I um have this amazing ability of turning stuff off and on at the mains. Um, <laughs> that was it. And I, 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 you know, innocently made a leavers video in my first year, my NQT year, you know, pictures of the year six through school mm. and put like that green day song, time of your lives. And we played it in a leavers assembly and the headteacher was like, this is Oscar award winning. You can be the ICT coordinator. <laughs> so that was my sort of role. And, um, and, and at the time like the hardware in the school was pretty pretty poor computers that were still running windows 95 i think it was absolutely dreadful and i was like well if i'm going to develop ict we're going to have to invest in some decent tech so i can really give it a go so that's where we bought our first set uh, class set of ipads and then my role was working in class sort of covering ppa but looking at ways in which that technology that mobile technology can sort of enhance teaching and learning and straight away i just thought God, there's so much potential with this. This is incredible. And um, what I started to do was sort of blog. So it was at the time we started a school blog. We started a school Twitter account. We started a school Facebook page. And I was just initially just sharing all this content, the, the amazing content the kids were creating. And we had this um, real sort of engagement where we were getting so many thousands of views on the blog and we were getting interaction on Twitter with authors and professors and all this sort of stuff going on and i started to see the real potential with that and then someone got in i don't know if you've come across julian woodson twitter ideas factory
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, he's brilliant so he got in contact and he was like you know you should think about starting your own teacher twitter account and it was around about i think it was 2011 2012 where it was really sort of still emerging this sort of edu twitter world and so yeah i started ict to mr p started the facebook page as well and then Uh, whatever I was sharing on the school blog I would then do a blog on my blog about how it was done and what apps were used and that sort of thing and that just started getting loads of uh, thousands upon thousands of views. I started dabbling uh, in a few teach meets so I remember doing my first teach meet in Bolton with Deputy Mitchell and Dougal and I did a little presentation there on what we've been doing with uh, sort of Angry Birds and Temple Run and using those video games to enhance learning and making links across the curriculum and the feedback from that was amazing uh, and I just started getting offers at, you know inquiries wait could you come visit our school and do a talk with our staff about how you've used tech and uh, and then I got this message off Alan Pete. though if you've come across some of his stuff he's, yes, he's I know Alan yeah absolutely incredible I mean if you can get him on the podcast he'd be he'd be amazing because he did the days training at my school and and You know, I'd I'd started then tweeting examples of work that we'd done using his ideas on Twitter and he sort of got in contact. Look, we love what you were doing and would you be interested in coming for a chat because we're looking at potentially getting someone involved to do some of the tech stuff. So I went and met him, had a chat with him and then uh, his wife, Julie, came and watched the session that I did at a school. And um, yeah, they sort of got in contact and said, look, we'd love to, because they interviewed a few people to be fair. uh, And it was only later when I asked, you know, what was it that, that made to go with me over the others and he's just sort of said you just talked all about the kids it wasn't you know all the other people at the interview it was all about them and their journey and this and that and I just went and said look this is what we've been doing with some of your stuff and this is the amazing content that the kids have created and he said that sort of resonated well with him so he sort of offered to take me under his wing not employ me to work for him but sort of support me in creating my own business which I just thought was uh, amazing really because there are certain companies out there that would have just wanted me to be employed by them and then I'm restricted in a way. He was sort of look, start your own business and we'll just support you and help you and we'll do some collaboration together. And I'm forever grateful for the support both him and Julie gave me because I wouldn't be where I am now without that heads up. Because he you know, warned me off certain people, uh, which in, in hindsight now I'm very grateful of because um, you know, once, you, once you get into this game of consultancy and education, you quickly realize that people will quite happily stab you in the back and nick your ideas and do all these horrible things for, for the money side of things. So I've always prided myself on that integrity of, um, it's that idea if I'm inspired by someone, if I see an idea, I will always give credit and I will always you know, blog about it and point people back to that person and it's never harmed me getting where I am. I just wish others would do the same because honestly, the stuff I get sent where people have either uh, lifted an idea off my blog or my training, and they're selling it as a book, they're doing it as a keynote at a conference, or they're winning awards for it, and it's that's the one thing that winds me up more than anything is um, just the people have no etiquette of thanking or crediting where initial ideas come from. So with Alan's support, I've I've just sort of built it up from there, and I'm in a position now where we've got so many sort of followers on on all different platforms uh instagram facebook twitter and it's just amazing to have that platform now where i'm able to support i'm able to help uh, inspire and have a have a voice within the edgy world that seems to be uh, certainly helping a lot of schools move forward as far as working smarter not harder because that's my big focus now i mean i think when i initially started the training it was very much look here are, here are some apps creative apps we can use across the curriculum And what I started to notice is I was doing these training days and teachers were coming away really inspired, but they didn't have the culture in the school where they were able to actually utilize them effectively because so much of the teacher's time was spent doing all this faff and nonsense. So my training has evolved very much over the past couple of years of saying, right, well, what we're going to need to do is we're going to need to talk about this culture in your school. Have you got the right culture so that teachers can really thrive and grow? and learn how to use a technology effectively because there's no point me saying look here's all these apps that we can use for english math science geography history blah blah and then you're not given the opportunity to try these ideas out because you're in a toxic culture of weekly book scrutinies and stuff like that so my big focus now is getting on getting schools to really focus on working smarter not harder and initially focusing on ways in which technology can do that before we then look at ways in which you can enhance the curriculum It's amazing through
0: that journey, how many turnings you just couldn't have predicted came from people who stepped forward like that teacher who pretty much saved you. And then you had obviously Alan Pete and his wife took you on that new journey, almost mentored you. uh, Absolutely. Then how it's kind of morphed from your ICT into a much wider thing on workload and culture. It's just a very interesting journey that you could never, ever have predicted.
2: No, no. And, and the thing with that is it goes hand in hand. So I always ask teachers, you know, what I always start my training sessions with this question of, you know, what is stopping you making the most out of technology at the minute? And the one that comes out on top all the time is, is time. Hmm. And, and so it's like, well, how can we work in a way where we can get that time back so that then we can focus a bit of time on building teachers confidence and, and knowledge. So yeah, the training's had to adapt to that. And I've had a bit of flack for it. I've had a few because you're always get the, the thing with social media is it brings the best and worst out of people and you know 90% of the time the comments are positive but I will get the odd one and I had initially people sort of going having a dig at the, the videos and why is he trying to be funny all the time and then uh, more recently it was like you know you've got a page ICT Mr P so stick to ICT don't be commenting on the wider issues but it's like well if we don't sort out the wider issues if we don't you know create the right culture in schools then there's no point me doing ICT videos because none of it's going to happen. Teachers aren't going to use them because all their time's wasted doing all the faff and the nonsense, you know. Um, and it's funny because I get asked questions all the time. I get so many messages from teachers who are like, "Oh, I, you know, I'm looking at trying to do a similar thing to you, or I'd love to come out the classroom and do training because that's a thing now. The pressures of the classroom, people do try and look for a way out, mm. which is isn't isn't right really. But um, yeah, I can't really sort of give anyone you know, the magic formula of where I got to, because like you say, sort of, it was so many different things came together at that time. And what I always will say to teachers is, you know, you've got to find your niche. Don't be a copy of, because, you know, there's there's people out there who who have tried to just basically do what I do. and, And teachers have seen through that and called them out. There was one, someone messaged me saying that they were at a conference and someone basically tried to do my presentation and just sort of got called out as like this, two pence, Mr. P, sort of thing. So, you know, <laughs> teachers will see, sort of see through it. So it's like find a niche, find what you, which is what I love about this podcast is that you found this this unique sort of idea that you've adapted into the edgy world, which I just think is great. And, you know, that's what you've got to do if you want to start a podcast. There are so many different educational podcasts out there. You've got to find that niche, you've got to find that unique idea that's going to resonate with people. So if people do that, if they find, and then the, the, what I always say is start a blog, start sharing ideas. And if you start to notice that's getting traction and you're getting plenty of you know, visits and, and hits on your, your blog, then you look at maybe joining a Reading Rocks conference or a, a Teach Me or you know these sort of conferences where you can go and present. And if that does well, you'll get offers, you'll get schools wanting you to come in and do the training.
0: Mm. I think that all segues quite nicely into the crux of the show. Let's go for it. Why not? <laughs> I can see you just you're rubbing your hands ready for this. So. <laughs> ready to unleash. <laughs> Here we go. So in Classroom 101, we strive to improve education by calling out its least helpful terms, paradigms, systems or practices, suggesting some better alternatives so here we go what's the first thing you'd like to banish into classroom 101 Lee
2: Do you know what there's so many I could be here forever to go through it. like I was sort of thinking about did we do it on a on a wider scale of looking at uh, education as a as a whole in this country and therefore there's so much you can talk about I'd been off the government you know the funding the lack of funding I'd, I'd been Nick Gibb I'd, I'd been you know. <laughs> Um, this sort of society issue we've got where everyone's conditioned to blame everyone else for the problems. So rather than looking at how you parent your child, you blame the school for why your child isn't doing what they should be doing. And, you know, I've been off any parent who thinks we shouldn't be teaching that sort of LGBT curriculum, which isn't about teaching children to be, uh, it's teaching tolerance. You know, I'm, 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 I truly believe that no child is ever born racist or homophobic it's all learned behaviors and what we want to be trying to do is teach tolerance and acceptance so that we don't have this sort of divided society that we do have uh i've been a lot of the curriculum because i think a lot of the curriculum isn't fit for, for purpose um i've been the sats tests I've been the spag curriculum um <laughs> and then they, yeah so that, that that they're things that i've gone through they're not what i've chosen and it was like well maybe a lot of that we can't actually have control of can we and that's the thing there's so much of that that i've said there that we don't as as teachers we don't have much control of so i was thinking maybe it should be more about you know things within our school that we can control and we can you know so um there's loads of things that are mock i've been them um i've been this sort of toxic edu twitter uh sort of thing going on especially over the past I'm sure you've seen it as well yourself over the Mm -hmm. summer Mm -hmm. it's just that it's like what's the what what are you trying to do I never I'll tell you one piece of advice and I don't know whether this is right or wrong but when it comes to negativity that I get through my page and I just don't engage because social media is not the right platform for it because I'm happy to have discussions I'm happy at training sessions people calling out what I say and we can have a face-to-face discussion but with social media because it's all text you lose that nuance of voice and it just snowballs into something that it should, doesn't need to be. So um, I, I sort of just scroll past. There's lots of stuff that I see that I just don't agree with. But it's like, it's not the platform. Do what you think's right. I'll scroll past. Um, you know, it's not going to affect me. It's fine. Any school doing anything for Ofsted, which I'm going to touch upon and which sort of links the Moxter thing I've said. Just generally teachers who are stuck in the ways and sort of are martyrs, you know, moan about how hard the life is, but are choosing to do things in a certain way. You know the ones who say to me, oh, "Lee, two things I hate about teaching." I say, right, what is it? Number one, I hate the way things are. I'm like, yep, spot on. I'm with you there. And number two, I hate change. I'm like, oh, where we, what can you do with that? You know. <laughs> and then you get the teachers who are like that, and then just teach such a sort of narrow curriculum where it's like death by worksheet. I was in a school the other week where the head teacher said. There was one teacher who had done 16 consecutive lessons in in the book, which was all worksheets. And I was just like, God, there's so much more we can be doing than a sort of death by worksheet approach. Um, But, yeah, the three that I've actually – the three that I've decided on, because these are three – well, two of them definitely we can change. So every teacher listening to this, two of them we can definitely do something about, right? which is hopefully what we want off the back of this podcast, is teachers to actually ask the question – SLTs to listen and maybe move forward a little bit, and then one is maybe sort of a bigger issue. So uh, the first one that I'm going to go with is book scrutinies, right? Mm. So I've got a real real issue with book scrutinies, and it's not the physical act of looking through books because that is part and parcel. That, that has to happen. Uh, books are such a valuable tool and a way of which children can show their learning. So it's not banning books. It's not getting rid of books at all. But it's this idea of book scrutinies where you've got schools who are doing book scrutinies weekly counting the amount of pages filled in a book and i just think it creates a really dangerous mindset in teachers now where teachers believe they're being judged and deemed a success by what their books look like right Mm. and so so much time and effort goes into making your books look brilliant when actually very little learning is happening and i've been messaged i got a message of a hlta who was a little bit concerned because she's working with this teacher who was teaching math lessons by writing the question up on the board and saying, right, who who knows the answer to this question? And then the most able child in the class would answer it. And she'd go, right, brilliant, write the answer on the board and then make the whole class copy it down in the book. And she'd work through the whole math lesson doing that. So at the end of it, it looks like all the children have made loads of progress because they've answered all these questions correctly in the book. But there's no learning happening there. Mm. Uh, and I just think you just narrow your curriculum massively and it's just the time it wastes you know photocopying and printing in these schools who have these who are crying out for money and and with the lack of funding which I'm not justifying because it's criminal what the government are doing with funding but then they have this they have a photocopying bill of 30 grand a year because they think everything's got to be evidence in the book and so what I talk about on my training is looking at ways how you can go beyond the book to evidence learning, such as I'm always asked what's your top apps for the classroom. And the number one app I would encourage every school to use is Seesaw. Is it allows the children to evidence their learning on a mobile device. And it's all cloud-based, so they can use any device to log in. And then they can ev- they've got this sort of learning portfolio on there. And what that does is it opens up a whole range of opportunities for children to evidence their learning in creative ways. So alongside the book, they can add pictures, they can add videos, they can upload any sort of content they've created using different apps on the iPad. And what I'm encouraging schools to do is move away from this idea of book scrutiny. I hate the word scrutiny, because it's like, what, it's like, screw, we're going to scrutinize. We're going to, you know, find all the negatives. Um, but then some schools, I was, I was on one training session where a school said, oh, we don't call them book scrutinies anymore. I was like, all right, what do you call them? Yeah. We call them book looks. Mm. And I was like, oh, for God's sake. Because every other teacher in the room, you could just see their eyes look up like it was Christmas morning because we're like, oh, oh, that rhymes. That rhymes. That sounds nice. Let's get that. Let's get that noted down. Let's get that in the policy as a non-negotiable because that's the weird thing with teachers. Another thing that I'd probably put in the bin is teachers' obsession with alliteration and any sort of wordplay, any sort of rhyme, alliteration, teachers suck suckers for it. And so much garbage... Is being pushed on teachers, uh, which has no pedagogical value, but it just sort of sounds nice, rolls off the tongue. Get it in the policies and non negotiable. Um, and, and is that an acronym? It's bloody hell, we love an acronym as well, don't we? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you can make any 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 group of words, if the first letters can then spell out another word, teachers are like, it flies around poo, they're like, this is amazing. And some of the garbage are being I see being pushed on Twitter where it's like, look, the, this, the, <laughs> we've taken these words and the first letter of each word may make the name of an animal. Uh, and the teacher like, this is amazing. It's not, it's service level garbage, but it makes a nice display. So yeah, so uh, learning reviews is what we call them in our school. So when we do a learning review now, we'll take some of the books in, but we'll also take the devices and the SLT will look on Seesaw. And it's not... This idea that if it's on Seesaw, we still need to evidence it in the books. Because you might of teachers who say, well, I put it on Seesaw, so can I create a QR code? And I'm like, well, you're making more work for yourself there, aren't you? Uh, if it's on Seesaw, that's fine, because the, the mindset in our school now is that you can't look at the book without having a the device there. And that simple shift of saying they go hand in hand, not one's more important than the other, but we're going to look at both. And if officers come in, they're getting both. And it says clearly in the inspection framework that if that's what you choose to do, that's absolutely fine. So we've got that understanding throughout the school. And just the amount of time and the amount of um, money that saved the school has been incredible. So, yeah, butt scrutiny. And, and again, I think one of the other worrying things about butt scrutiny is it creates that mindset of it. It's got to be in the book. And so you you can be tempted to go down that death-by-worksheet approach and you don't see the opportunities of how... Creative, you can be. So yeah, so that'd be the first one. Uh, book scrutinies. I think I think that a lot of
0: teachers will relate to how it encourages that performance culture and actually it encourages all of that unnecessary copying and showing.
2: Yeah, yeah. You're, you're
0: feeling that horrible pressure to show the learning.
2: Yeah, and how another really important point to make is if you're in a school that is driven by this book scrutiny culture of feeling the pressure of every lesson has got to be something in the book. You narrow your curriculum massively and you neglect some of the most important parts of the curriculum, some of the actual parts of the curriculum that I'm a fan of. So if you go into the English curriculum of any year group and you look at the first part of the English curriculum, you'll get these spoken language objectives. Hmm. Every There's not a single one of them you can you can work on and evidence the work in a book. Mm. And so, what you get now is you get a lot of teachers that don't even bother teaching it and don't give it anywhere near the same weight and value as other parts and you get a lot of this you, you get this sort of mentality in a lot of schools where speaking listening oral speaking is almost this poor cousin to reading and writing because mm. with reading and writing, we can evidence all of that in in a book so that that's what we're going to do and and I'm telling you now if you're not nailing those oral speaking skills those oral speaking objectives, you won't get anything else. You won't get the progression in uh, in reading and writing. You know, I can't remember who said the the saying, but it's effective reading and writing floats on a sea of oracy. Mm. And you've got to look at some of the issues we're facing. Where you know we see this in our school, the amount of children now who are starting school with severe speech and language difficulties. Uh, ultimately, we're seeing that our uh, lo- our local authority cannot keep up with demand with the amount of re- references, referrals, should I say, and and so. You know, we're getting these kids in with severe speech and language difficulties and we're going, Oh, what's your name? Oh, you can't verbalise anything orally. Oh, shame. Never mind. Come and sit at the desk, go on with this worksheet and make sure it's cursive. And we're not even teaching a part of the curriculum that can then help them. And if you look at a bigger issue, you know, statistics at the minute are showing that the biggest killer of men on the age of 50 is suicide. Yeah. And we lose on average 12 men a day to suicide at the minute. And you think, well, what is it that men need to be able to do more? It's that we're talking and opening up about things. And yet we're not even valuing the part of the curriculum that can give the children that skill set to be able to open up and to be able to verbalise and be able to express their emotions and how they're feeling uh, in an articulate and understandable way. You know, our, our obsession with the accountability in education, I think, is is contributing to that that issue, which is something we've got to change.
0: Mm. That's really powerful the way you put that. Um,
2: It's something I feel very passionate about because you know we have this sort of obsession with 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 books, and it's like what I always say about handwriting. You know, it's I'm not I'm not against handwriting, but we've got this obsession with with kids having this. They've got you know there was I know it's changed slightly, but for a number of years it was like kids cannot be uh, expected standard if they've not got neat cursive and joined handwriting. And I'm like, are you being so? When in this world we live in now do you publish anything handwritten? I think the statistics are 60% of the handwriting you do in your lifetime now you do before you're 18. And handwriting is a very valuable skill, don't get me wrong. It's an incredibly valuable skill. Uh, Research has shown if you're handwriting notes from a training session, those notes will stick with you more than if you were typing them. But generally speaking, anything you handwrite now is just for you and it's not to be published. And yet we we will be doing 20 minutes, half an hour of handwriting practice a day, which I'm like, fair play, I'm all for that. It's still a very very viable skill. But what we don't then do is we don't match it with either the oral speaking stuff or typing skills. So I think we just need so much more of a balance. It's not about replacing stuff. It's not about saying, well, we shouldn't teach handwriting. Yeah, we should. But the way I would approach it is for every piece of work, the handwriting a book, they should then do a piece of work typed up on a computer because that is just as valuable a skill going into the world that but well, you don't know where it's going to go in 20 years i mean the the big one now is the whole speech technology and everyone wants an Alexa in the house and you know that might be the way it goes so we might end up getting to a point where we, we we've never given typing in the the uh time and and focus it should have uh, and it skips through that actually it's just all about voice technology now who knows? But I just think we should try and aim for a bit more of a, a balance. But when schools are so short on time, and that's what I get from a lot of teachers, well, when I let the t- children type, it takes so long and it's like, well, it is going to because it's such a foreign skill for a lot of them. So you've got that issue with time, but then it's like the book thing and it's always everything's got to be in books. So it's got to be handwritten in books. And, you know, it's just be nice to get a bit more of a balance, really.
0: And just the last thing on the book, Scrutinies, the amount of uh, time and paper that I've seen go into photographing when those oh, yeah. drama-based and speaking-based activities do take place. But we need to take yeah. the photos. And I've even been there in the past as a class teacher, sticking in 30 of pretty much the same photo into into mm-hmm. the books.
2: And I'm like, who do, do who's that for? What are mm-hmm. the kids getting out of it So, I mean, we introduced Seesaw a few years ago off the back of me um, working with a year one teacher. And Uh, I got into school about quarter to eight and she must have already been in for about an hour because she was sat there and she was handwriting the learning challenges out in each of the children's books. There's another one. We can bin that. We can get rid of any school who who writes learning challenges uh, or gets the children to write learning objectives in the books or does this stupid thing of printing out little sticky labels of the learning challenge sticking book. That is another complete and utter waste of time because I say, why are you doing that? Oh, well, whoever picks up the books will be able to see what we've done. If they want to know what we've done, come and talk to me. I'm not going to waste an hour of my morning getting either handwriting a learning challenge, printing little sticky labels, or wasting 10 minutes of a lesson getting children to write. It just is, yeah. Someone worked out if you get children to copy out learning challenges in the books, it can waste up to 32.5 hours a year, which is over a week's worth of school. And for some of the poor, you know, some of the kids, I feel sorry for them because these poor kids are having to. You know, it's half of what they write in a whole session. You know, so um, anyway, she was writing them out, and then it was funny because she was writing them out in the maths books. And when it came to the maths lesson, she wasn't doing anything. You weren't doing anything in the books. They were making number sentences using Numicon. She was like a headless chicken, just going around the classroom taking pictures on pictures on a teacher iPad. Um, got to break, she didn't have a break she spent all the break getting those pictures from her iPad to a computer, into the phonics, into English got to lunch, we have an hour for lunch she didn't, chat about five minutes because she spent over lunch time getting all those pictures from her uh, computer sent down to the printer, getting them all printed, photocopying them all, trimming them all down and then the TA spent all afternoon sticking them in the books mm-hmm. and again I'm just thinking, and, and for the teacher she couldn't see how much time that wasted because it had become so routine that it just was like, you didn't even think about it. But I was like, why are you doing that? And if you think about the amount of time it takes, a teacher doing that over a week, over a half term, over a term, over a year, and think what a teacher could be doing with that time, mm. as far as what we've said as, as technology is concerned. You know, it's massive. And it's, again, the cost, cost element of it as well, with schools, you know, sending me GoFundMe pages for TAs. Oh, our budgets are so tight, we can't keep TA. And then they've got a photocopying bill, 25 grand a year. It's like, will sort that out. So that's why we introduce seesaw. And the best thing about seesaw is it's about it's, it's pupil-driven. So rather than the teacher running around, you know, you train the kids up to say, right, once you've made that number sentence, go and take a picture of it on one of the class iPads, and then they're they're learning the skills of how to evidence their work. They're they're able to talk about it. On top of that, I I just can't get my head around why there are still so many schools who haven't given it a go, who haven't tried it, you know, and are still doing that time-consuming it's all about their books.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. we probably best move on to the second item.
2: Well, this is sort of closely linked. So the second item that I put in is is marking policies, written marking policies. Uh, I say this on my training all the time. I wouldn't wipe my arse with a marking policy. <laughs> It'll be on my tombstone that. Here lies Mr. P. Won't wipe his ass with a marking policy. Because I just think it's, it's not worth the paper it's written on. Just, it just—it just completely misses the point of feedback. Now, more for schools having feedback policies, but if your school still has a marking policy, you, I mean, you're living in 2012. You know, what? what how's the Gangnam Style dance treating you? It's just—it's <laughs> just—it uh, completely misses the point. I mean, I said on my first ever placement when I started teaching, and we did this writing, and I took the books home and I spent hours doing all this written marking. And I went back into school the next day and just saw how the children did not engage with it, whether they could read it or not. It just was paying lip service to it. I was like, that was a waste of time. That was 15 years ago. And to see how it's evolved over the past 15 years because of this obsession with accountability and this idea that the busier we look, the more marking we do, the better it's going to look for whoever checks it, has just created this monster and is one of the biggest contributors to the whole workload issue you know workload is by far the biggest reason why we have this huge retention crisis in education and what schools aren't doing is they're not tackling that workload issue a lot of schools are sort of just paying lip service to it and and then we have this huge issue with wellbeing which again is I'm very very passionate about but What we're doing—the thing we're getting wrong with the well-being stuff at the minute—is we're not sorting the workload stuff out. Now, while well-being is directly linked to workload, but what schools aren't doing is they're not addressing the workload issue, and so well-being becomes this token gesture. Like I was going to put in pointless well-being initiatives because I'm sick to death of seeing them. You know, like where someone gets a mug and puts a few chocolates in the mug and then sticks it on your desk with a post-it note saying you've been mugged, thinking that's going to help me well-being. What you—you know, for one, I'm on a diet. You know. (laughs) <laughs> so it's not going to help me there and how's that helping me when you're making me highlight with five different colors because it's a non-negotiable in the policy it completely misses the point and don't even get me started on the whole yoga stuff the thing with well-being is it's completely subjective right if anyone ever told me that i had to do a yoga session or a mindfulness session or you know um communal uh, what's it you know where you sort of
0: meditation
2: Meditation, that's the one, yeah. Uh, they had to get into school every Friday an extra hour early, so they did joint communal med- meditation. And I'm like, well, I'll tell you what's going to be better for my meditation. Bloody an extra hour in bed. Um, I think the thing, we've, the thing with uh, well-being is it's so subjective. What works for one person isn't going to work for another. You know, some teachers might love a bit of yoga and fair play to them. I'm, I'm not a fan. Uh, I'd rather get home early enough so I can be dad for a couple of hours with my kids. Some teachers might prefer to sit on the couch with a bag of Doritos and binge on a Netflix series. And that's absolutely the only universal way in which you're going to improve every, every teacher's wellbeing is to give them time. And the only way we're going to be able to give teachers time is to stop the faff and the nonsense. And one of the biggest contributors to the faff is marking policies. Because I'll tell you what it is with is. I'll tell you why schools still have marking policies is they completely misunderstand the word consistency. Because that's a big one now with the whole office. It's all about consistency. But what schools misinterpret with the word consistency is they think everyone's got to do the exact same thing. So everyone's got to teach the exact same way. Everyone's got to plan the exact same way. Everyone's got to mark the exact same way. Hence why we create these ridiculous marking policies full of non-negotiables. And it completely misses the point because my definition of consistency is that it has to come by the outcome Not the process. And for too too long, we've obsessed with the how we, we mark and how we give feedback and how that's got to be the exact same. And we've missed the point of what feedback should be. And feedback should be about supporting and challenging and moving children on with the learning. And nine times out of 10, these non negotiables that are seen in a marking policy don't do that. If you were a year five teacher, within your class of year five pupils, you would not be able to give the exact same forms of feedback for every child in your class because of the different levels of ability. But if every child in your class was being supported, challenged, and moved on with your feedback, should it matter how you give it? Mm. You know? Mm. So, consistency has to come by the outcome, not the the process. And that's what we should be focusing on because, you know, if you've got a child in your class who has yet to reach the level where they can confidently decode text, then written marking is a complete and utter waste of time. Mm. Um, And the, the, the thing is, there's so many different ways in which you can give feedback, it completely depends on the task. And it completely depends on, on, on the child. But what marking policies do is it forces you to just spend so much time marking a certain way that you know, you, you know, especially like Key Stage 1 teachers who some of the stuff that they have to do when they know full well once they spent three hours doing all this faff and nonsense, you know, what went well, another alliteration, even better if. And they're doing it for hours and, and giving it back because the idea of consistency means everyone's got to do the same thing. You go to a year six class and the year six teachers are sat there doing reams upon reams of written marking because at year six, a lot of them can read it. You go down to year one and the year one teachers are then doing the same amount of written marking as year six because that's what the policy is telling them to do. Knowing full well when to give it back to the child the next day, they can't even read it. So it completely misses the point. So I'm, I'm much more in favour of sort of feedback policies because you ask every teacher what's the best form of feedback you can give your kids. Every teacher on this planet will say oral, verbal feedback. But if you have written marking policies, you don't do that. Or if you do it, you've then got to somehow evidence it in the books by writing uh, verbal feedback or stamping the VF or whatever it might be. And again, that's a complete and utter waste of time. The, the, the proof is in, in what the children do off the back of your feedback. That's where you get that sort of consistency. And don't even get me started on bloody highlighters, man. Do you know what it is? Is there's too many teachers in our profession Uh, busy teachers, I call them, who associate time with being effective. So they think the more time they can spend doing a task, the better they are at that task. And it's a complete and utter illusion that it's complete rubbish. But what happens is these teachers will spend so much time doing all this faff And if they get put on a pedestal in too many schools and it's like, look at what this teacher's doing. Why are the rest of you staff not doing what this teacher is doing? It's like, because I've got a life, mate. I've got stuff going on outside of school. And in a lot of schools, these busy teachers become SLT. And so that faff becomes policy. Policy becomes non-negotiable. And you're having to highlight in five different colours just to mark a bloody book. We we introduced it about six years ago. And And it's like this idea of just, it's like that page doesn't look like a unicorn's defecated a rainbow over it. It's just not good enough. (laughs) <laughs> and we introduced it six years ago because we were already outstanding. And I'm doing that, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. inverted commas with my fingers. So uh, outstanding because that's something I'm going to come on to in a minute. We were already outstanding. But a school down the road from us had just got outstanding. And our SLT went to see what they were doing. And then they came back really giddy because they've seen something and it's like, right, get this, guys. We don't tick anymore. No, ticking so 2012. Um, if, you, if you see something good, you've got to highlight it pink. And we're going to call that tickling pink. It was like, you know, after three, one, two, three, you sat there in a staff meet as a fully grown adult going tickling pink, questioning your life choices. Um, and if it's not so good, we're going to highlight it green. And that's going to be called green for growth because that's alliterative and that gets me going. That You know, as Maura would say, that gives me the fanny flutters. Um, and, then, and, uh, and then it was like, right, so we spent £500 on the budget on highlights fuel. you. Well, it's already non-negotiable in the policy. Off you go. And I remember looking around at my staff thinking, right, come on, guys, we're not going to take this, surely. You know, we've not even tried this yet, and it's already a non negotiable And I was hoping for some sort of lame, miserable revolt, like everyone was going to stand up and we were going to break you communal song to stand up against this nonsense. And it, it, it was more like a scene out The Walking Dead. Everyone's like, uh. And I just sort of said, have we tried this yet to see if it's any more effective? Because, you know, I waste enough time doing this marking, knowing it's a waste of time. If you're now telling me to... You know, paint by numbers to mark a book I don't think it's going to save me time and therefore it's going to have a negative impact on teaching and learning because I'm not spending that time or effectively planning effective and innovative lessons and it was met with and again six years ago how we used to do things uh, we moved on a lot since then but it was met with no but Ofsted like it so that's what we're doing and, and that's the thing we used to be one of those schools it's all about Ofsted but with Ofsted they've come out and and do you know my biggest thing with Ofsted now isn't directly with Ofsted. Now, don't, like I like, say, if it was up to me, I'd probably get rid of them. But to be fair to them, they've, for the past few years, done everything in their power to get this message across the schools that you shouldn't be doing anything for them. Hmm. So they've had this Ofsted myth document on the website for I don't know how long, yeah. I think four or five years. Yeah. Yeah, I, on my training, I will bring it up on my screen and say, put your hands up you, if you've not seen this before. And three quarters of the teachers have never even seen it. Wow. So... Basically, that Ofsted myth, if you've not seen it, just Google Ofsted myths, but to sum it up, they essentially say you shouldn't be doing anything for Ofsted. Everything you do should be for the pupils, and as long as you can explain and justify why your methods work, we'll be happy with that. So my biggest issue with Ofsted now isn't directly with Ofsted. It's indirectly via SLTs, who are doing everything for Ofsted. And, still, and this is where the whole wellbeing thing is coming in, because Ofsted will come in and they'll sort of talk to you about well-being, which I think is a bit of a catch-22 situation myself. Because if an off inspector sort of corners you and says to you as a teacher, you know, talk me through your well-being and workload, you've got no choice. You can either, you can either lie and be like, workload? Oh, yeah, uh, don't even know what that word means here. We're, we're the happiest staff in the country. We, we, you know, we leave every night at four. I've got, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so what happens then is you get maybe a good grading. Uh, and nothing changes or you can tell the truth and be like workload mate it's a nightmare this is it's killing me like I'm not I don't even know if I'm still married I don't, can't remember what my kids faces look like because I'm here till seven every night and then you get a bad grade and nothing will happen other than more workload will come along so it's a bit of a catch-22 situation but the best example of this is head teachers going on courses and hearing that you know they're going to ask about well-being and workload and thinking about like, what can I do and in the starting staff meetings going right listen guys I'm going to do another butt scrutiny uh, this week. Yeah, I know it's the fifth one so far this half term. Yeah, well, I know we've only been back a week, but I need to make sure you're triple marking everything. Uh, I'm going to do another learning walk this week as well, but I'm not going to tell you when it is, and you won't even hear me doing it because I take my heels off to do it. and you know, all <laughs> these sort Well, of... Because I'm such a great lead and really care about your well-being, um, guess what we've got next week for the staff meeting? That's right, guys. I've got the local yoga instructor from the local gyms come in and do a yoga session with you. And it's like, there we go, box tick. So, yeah, moving away from Marking policies to feedback policies is something that uh, i'd I'd love schools to do more of and again the the way the technology can help with it as well you know if you've got a few ipads in your classroom and this is again another idea on 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 the website is you know what i do now is if i want if if because it depends on what the task is but let's say they've done an extended piece of writing and i want the children to then really take on board my feedback they'll take a picture of it I'll record myself talking through it on the iPad, and then they watch that back. So it's like giving effective oral feedback to 30 children at once, you know, individual oral feedback at once. And the impact from that has just been phenomenal. And it's just its one of the best ways in which I use the technology in school, and it's so easy to do, and, you know, it does need a bit of time to get your head around it. But I've got teachers now where it's halving the amount of time they spend giving feedback but doubling the impact, so.
0: That there is probably the best part of Seesaw that I've seen yeah, yeah. through my limited yeah. trialling of it in school. But I thought that was amazing, the the impact yeah. of it. The, like you say, the time versus effect of that yeah. incredible.
2: So, yeah, so that's the second one. Okay, thank you. Do you, you do that. that thing where you decide then whether it goes in or not? Do you do that?
0: <laughs> no, do um, do that? every single one that gets brought up, I just want rid of straight away, having been a teacher
2: for more than a decade. <laughs> I reckon if you take everything that each one of those people have said, and we actually bind it from our educational system, I tell you what, it won't have a negative impact on anything. <laughs> it improve, you know what I mean. So I actually really like this concept. I think it's a brilliant concept because it opens a discussion, but you know, it actually shows what change. If we were to, if we were able to change, how much our system would move forward. Um, so no, you and I'm enjoying it.
0: Right. Let's get on to your <laughs> third one then.
2: Right. So the third one's. Um, it's sort of a reason why we probably have the first two happening in schools and it's a bit more of a wider uh, issue. And it's Ofsted labels. Yeah, I can't stand them. So we chase it, don't we? We chase the good, we chase the outstanding. And the thing is, I've been to so many schools where they're outstanding and you know, you know they're outstanding because it's everywhere. They're not an outstanding school at all. They've just played the game. They've just got the results with a particular able year group. Uh, staff turnovers through the roof on that particular day when i expect to came in you know and this is the thing with ofsted i know that they're trying to change it and they're saying that they're, they're taking much more of a broad and balanced curriculum with the three eyes. again more evidence of how alliteration hoodwings teachers but um you know and i think it is a step in the right direction i just think for the past few years it's been very much results driven and what schools have done is they've played to that they have played the game to get the results to get the grade and it just doesn't prove anything. It's not a reflection on the school, really. And, you know, I go into some outstanding schools and I come away and I'm thinking, I would absolutely hate to work there. That is one toxic school. And then I'll go into some requires improvement schools and I would I'd jump at the chance to work at that school because they've, they've got the children at the heart of everything they do. But I think if you take away the this labelling culture, it completely changes the picture. And you know, it would completely change Ofsted, I think, because Ofsted have that, they have that tagline, don't they? Raise standards improving lives. And it's like, you're joking. You don't raise standards. Ofsted don't raise standards. They judge, they judge and they check standards. So that's what it should be, checking the standards. They check it against their own subjective views on education. I would just get rid of that whole labelling culture. Because I think if you're lucky enough to have an inspector who comes in, who you know might have had a belting weekend. Gone to the races, won a bet on a horse. Comes in, big smile, and he's like, "Yeah, like that, like that, like that. You can be outstanding." What schools then do is they play into it, and they spend hundreds of pounds of their budget getting a massive banner out outside the school saying, "Look how outstanding we are." And then down the road is a school working just as hard, but gets an inspector who comes in and does, for whatever reason, maybe you know, has had an argument with the with the partner, you know, isn't isn't in the right frame of mind or isn't feeling positive takes it out on the school don't like don't don't that don't like that there requires improvement and now they're fighting for the jobs but they're doing the exact same thing so i just think if you take away that labeling culture because ultimately it's it's an utter illusion it doesn't mean anything and because then you you, you take away this whole playing up to ostead to get the grade you take away that and then you create this system where it's not about league tables it's not about comparing it's not about it's about supporting each other it's about helping and supporting and and you know you get rid of mocksteads then you know grading observations that still happens in some schools would go because again there's no such thing as an outstanding teacher there's no such thing as an outstanding school at the end of the day we're human and we've sort of lost sight of the fact that we're human and teachers are expected to be these invincible sort of superheroes who you know are perfect every minute of every day and it's not real you know, you can have days where you go away from your school and you're like, I tell you what, nailed that today. I deserve an award for what I did in that classroom. You know, I've got that child stop licking his feet for five minutes to finish that worksheet. I am one amazing teacher. Then you have other days where you're walking away like, I am an absolute fraud. What was I thinking? You know, I should, I should retire. And you're going to have days where you can't be at the top of your game. You cannot be at the top of your game for whatever reason. You're feeling under the weather. There's stuff going on outside the school. There might be an illness in the family. Your relationship's hitting a rocky patch. There's other things going on. But as long as you're there giving your very, very best, That is what, for me, makes teachers outstanding. That's what, for me, makes teachers amazing. You know, it's not this idea of striving for outstanding. We're human. So let's strive for everyday excellence. Can we be our very, very best on that given day? Mm. Um, And if we change that model, I think as a profession, we'd be able to accept the fact that things are going to go wrong and that's okay but we're there to support each other, we're there to support, we're not, you're starting to see that now, in, 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 even within schools where teachers are trying to pull each other down because they want to be the top dog at the school, and that's not what teaching is about, about supporting, it's about helping, it's about being there for each other, it's about being part of a team, and I think if Ofsted were to get rid of the whole labelling culture, it'd be definitely a step in the right direction.
0: I mean, I know you've mentioned you probably wouldn't have them anyway, but if they're there and the gradings weren't there, what, what would there be instead?
2: I just think um, more of a support network. I think there'd be a report about what the strengths are, what the weaknesses are. And then there'd be some sort of program in place where teachers and the schools supported with the weaknesses, you know, because no school's perfect. No school's perfect. Every school will have something that they need to improve on. Why not just say, we've been into this school, they do this brilliantly, that brilliant, and that brilliantly, but we, they just need a bit more support with this, this, and this. And then if you're a parent, it's not about, oh, look at the grade. It's like, right, well, for me as a parent, I want my child to have opportunities at performing arts. I want them to, I want them to have, be at a school that are great in maths. Then you look at the inspection report and it's like, well, that school has been recognised as a great school for maths. So do you know what I mean? It, it could be yeah. taking away the labels and let's just focus on, right, well, they're great with the behaviour, great with leadership. However, there's not as much broad and balanced curriculum happening. So the school then takes that on, and it's like, right, we're going to work on that for a couple of years. Then a couple of years come on, and it's like, right, well, this is the broad and balance is great, this is great, but I think this needs a bit of work on. And then every school sort of treated equally because you can't compare two schools. You know, you can't compare my school with my brother's school on, in, in, a, in a city Salford. There are different challenges, there are different expectations, the different pressures in different ways, but ultimately. We're trying to do our best, and yeah. So I just think you could you could still have Ofsted without the gradings, but I just think the way Ofsted are run at the minute, this idea of them raising standards they don't raise standards. So yeah. So I I think if you got rid of those those labels, it could be a step in the right direction. It take I think it'd really take away this obsession with the accountability, and it would probably lead a lot more head teachers to push a bit more trust onto the teachers.
0: I think, for what it's worth, my experience of Ofsted has been the inspectors have been extremely knowledgeable. Yeah. I've been lucky in that when I've had inspectors watch me, I've got really good feedback, and I've I've yeah. been speaking I've been speaking to someone. I thought you really know your stuff. Like you've dissected my lesson, and you know everything about what I was doing and why I was doing it. And I've been, you know, in your kind of in awe and think, gosh, you you you're a real expert. Yeah. So. All of that, I've found a great experience. And when I've had to actually go in with inspectors and co-observe lessons, then we come out and talk about it and discuss with them. And you think, yeah, you're on it. You get what learning is. So I've had a good experience in that respect. But I still feel like the, the wider system means that the whole process is encouraging performance and playing a game. And it's not, like you say, it's not actually overall helping as you, however expert these people might be. And even if you get to the point and I take your point about, you might not be able to actually trust one, one opinion versus another, but let's Uh say in a magical world that you could, and it was just objective. the, The way the system's set up means that the pressure and the accountability means that everyone's trying to tick the boxes that they want ticked. Or well, they think mm-hmm. that Ofsted want ticked. And so yeah. we'll put, we're expending all our energy to that rather than
2: yeah. what matters. The kids than the folks. And, 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 and don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't, I'm not tarring every inspector with the same brush because, you know, my experience of Ofsted we, we've, when we've been inspected has been positive. L- listen, with, with, with inspectors, they're all. I think the heart's in the right place. And I think... Um, you know they're getting in with the right intentions that they do want to help and they do want to raise standards i just think the system with the labeling culture i'd still get rid of labels i think we could get away with them and it wouldn't really have any sort of negative impact. I just think it'd hopefully move us in the right direction of giving teachers a bit more trust and focusing more on the children
0: right marking policies book scrutinies and then the
2: ofsted labels of the 300 they're the three that i thought i'd talk about yeah. <laughs> brilliant
0: Hi there, I hope you're enjoying the show. This is a quick message to ask for your help. The aim of Classroom 101 is to support wider sharing of ideas and wisdom in education. So if you like what you hear from Lee, I'd be really grateful if you could share this with others, whether verbally or via social media. You can tweet the show at classroom101pod, me at andyvt101, and Lee at ict underscore mrp. A big thanks to the many of you who've been sharing and commenting on the last episode with Ruth Lusmore, including Olivia Hutley, Carla Smith and Andy Hargreaves, to name but a few. Please keep all the feedback coming, and click follow or subscribe on whichever platform you're using. Now let's return to the final part of the show three quick questions to get to know Lee a little better. Okay, right, your first question is who or what makes you laugh until it hurts?
2: Um You know, I've got some really, really good uh, staff at my school that always give us a giggle. That's what I love about my school is I'll go in each week and we'll just have a right laugh. Um, I think that, yeah, it'd have to be my brother. It'd have to be my brother who I do my podcast with because he is just on another level. Uh, I truly believe he could have probably made it as a stand-up. He's just too lazy. (laughs) He's too lazy to listen to this so I can say it. But, yeah, since we've started that podcast, honestly, we've, you know i look forward to doing the episodes because i know i've just got an hour of listening to him and his unique view on life and school life and i just i end up in hysterics and um so yeah so it's adam yeah the, it? adam a yeah, adam, yeah. younger brother hlta at a school in manchester and uh yeah if you've not listened to the podcast yet give it a listen because like i say you'll be in you'll be in hysterics with some of his stories he is brilliant. Uh one of the ones I listened to recently
0: was him recounting his like summer staff do. Um uh, how yeah. he he planned to he planned to be all sensible and ended up <laughs> basically, basically doing his rendition of Peter Andre, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's in, in no condition. He's in no condition to, <laughs> to be doing that. And and yeah. But he is, he's just he's he's another level. He's he's so, so funny.
0: <laughs> brilliant. What's one guilty pleasure you enjoy too much to give up?
2: Oh, I'm a nightmare with food. You know, I'm, I'm really bad about fast food, especially on the road now. Do you know what po- true crime podcasts? I'm an absolute oh. addict. Um, that's what initially got me into podcasts a few years back. A friend of mine was like, Have you listened to this podcast, Serial? I was like, What's a, what's a podcast? And I listened to that. In fact, I was driving down to. Um, it was like Southend, and I listened to the fir- I think listened to the first five episodes. They were an hour long each on the drive, and then when I got into my hotel room, I just continued listening, and I did the whole series in one day. And um, off the back of that, I've just binged on so many yeah true crime podcasts.
0: We can go back to having a bit of a moan here. What everyday thing or things really bug you?
2: Oh, everyday things. Um, I'm getting more and more disillusioned with our media i hate the way that every news story now has to have an opinion of someone on twitter like opinions mean anything factual i hate that i hate this idea that we're getting to a point where we're we're murking the waters between things that are actual fact and then people's opinions and we're sort of valuing them both equally um i hate how naive everyone is with social media still to this point where we just take everything we see on social media at face value and i've got to this point where we really don't or just can't be asked to find out whether something is true or not as soon as we see it on facebook we're like oh let's share it and that's why we are where we are as a society where we've got all these issues as far as like brexit and and things like that, because it was sold on a lie. I don't care what anyone says it was. Um, You've only got to see The Great Hack for that. Have you watched that yet on Netflix? No. Unbelievable, you know. And it's something that I'm very passionate about educating children around because I don't want the next generation to grow up and just make the same mistakes that we've made where we've just based everything on our emotions and our opinions and our beliefs rather than actual facts and truth. And it's just getting to a point now where, I just think we're at risk of, in 250 years or so, if we're still around in 250 years, look back at this time in human history and deem it the most embarrassing time of human history with some of the things that we're doing, you know. One thing that really, really bugs me is crap parenting around technology. It's, It's parents who buy kids the tech at such a young age and sort of use it as a digital pacifier. I saw this so much on my holiday that I've been on. So we went to a beaver for a week and we stayed in like an all-inclusive hotel and it was packed full of families and we'd go for a meal every night and the amount of tables you'd see where there'd be a family sat there with, you know, two young children glued to a device while the parents are eating. And I just think, what, what are you teaching kids there, you know? And it's that that sort of convenient side of the technology, and it's just so wrong. I read a, a news article the other day that was saying, like, a quarter of parents now use Alexa or Siri to read a bedtime story to the kids. If you're a parent who's happy for a robot to read to your own children rather than you spending that time to just sit back and just forget about everything else and just have that little bit of time where you and your child just enjoy your story you know why are you even a parent you know and i'm not saying that we shouldn't let children have access to the technology because there's a time and place for everything but it's just this lazy convenient approach to it where you know you can buy prams now that come with built-in ipad holders and it's just having such a negative effect so i was at a friend's house and um they had, they had like a toddler there three years old i think and and as we left to say bye, um, the child said, all right, bye, don't forget to subscribe. So they've watched that much YouTube that they've now associated don't forget to subscribe as like a farewell greeting. Oh I mean, my wife got it. a bar. both looked at each other and we were just like, that is just so bad. And it just comes down, it's just poor choices, people making really really poor choices and it's not the tech because what right really winds me up is how we blame it and all these news articles about how technology is having such a negative impact it's not the tech it's how we're choosing to use it and how we're almost parenting and conditioning these young people to approach technology that's where we're failing them and so we've got to be the positive role models we've got to set the boundaries we've got to control the use and not give them free reign because if we give them free reign they're going to end up being addictive because that's the way that technology is designed, we've got to find the right balance. And it's not blaming schools. It's, not, it's about us as parents, as adults, setting those boundaries and yeah, making the right choices, really. A lot of food
0: for thought there as well. Thank you, Lee. Oh, cheers. Right, before we conclude, you've got so much out there available going on from your resources, your training, your podcasts, your live shows coming up. Can you run through a bit of this and how people can find out more about you and what you're doing?
2: Yes, so um, I've got all my pages on on my social media platforms. So facebook.com forward slash ICT with Mr. P. I'm on Instagram at ICT underscore Mr. P. Same on Twitter at ICT underscore Mr. P. Um, Like I say, I've launched a new website now. So because I get so many messages from teachers who want to come on a course but can't for whatever reason, whether it's where they are in the world or, you know, SLT, don't don't want to send them there. I've launched a website now, mrpict.com where I'm trying to move a lot of my CPD, a lot of my training. We're just building it up as we go. I think there's over 200 videos on there already. And it's not a resource website. It's not like a twinkle or anything like that. It's just about empowering teachers to make more out of technology in their schools. So it's about giving them the support, the step-by-step tutorial videos, the inspiration, the ideas of how they can enhance the whole curriculum through creative use of technology. So you can subscribe to that as a teacher. Either through the website or you can subscribe to it through Facebook. There is also the option for you to sign up as a school through the website as well. So um, every staff member in your school can have access and you know watch all the CPD content from the comfort of their own couch if they want. Um, and on that MrPict.com website is uh, links for training information and upcoming courses and that sort of thing. And then uh, yeah, the podcast you can find on most, if not all, of the podcast platforms. But the website too—that's the number two MrP's podcast. So to podcast.com has all the episodes available and information about the live shows that we've got coming up. So yeah, I think that's everything. Oh, read readwriteperform.com read, as well. So that's um an approach that I work on with a guy called John Murray who's a reading trainer uh, and that's a sort of an approach to English that again is having huge impact on schools because it's about valuing every element of the English curriculum in a real cohesive and engaging way. So it's uh, it's not a scheme of work, it's sort of I think there's 16 packs available at the minute hopefully we're going to be ad- adding some more soon. It's just sort of a unit of work in English. And what we really want with that is we want teachers to try out a pack and then take that approach. So it's very much about that approach of reading to writing and then utilizing the technology to bring that writing to life.
0: Brilliant, thank you.
2: It's been so much fun talking to you. Oh, uh, cheers yeah, for having me.
0: Enjoyed getting to know you as well as hearing some more of your educational rants. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
2: as you call them yourself. Wife, it's funny now because so often my wife will um, she'll come on my training. You know, every so often she's sitting on one of the training sessions, and uh, she always says to me now, "She's like, you're far too negative. You, you moan <laughs> so much." I'm like, "No, no, no. Teachers appreciate that there's someone out there that they can resonate with. So, uh, hopefully, do it in a moan in the right." way i suppose
0: i genuinely feel you do i personally believe that you bring so much to the educational landscape if you like i feel like your heart is in such a good place trying to improve life for teachers and therefore give the children a better deal as well we are doing a lot of time wasting
2: and oh, absolutely. it's
0: possible to have a world where people teachers are valued more enjoy their jobs more and are more effective because of it everyone wins from the kids to the teachers <laughs>
2: Yeah. It's starting to sound
0: like a political
2: no no thing. right and that's and, how i feel one of my one of my favorite sayings is you know a person who feels appreciated will do more than is expected schools need to create that culture where teachers do feel valued do feel appreciated feel that the part of a team that is you know moving towards the right goal and if you can create that culture they take care of the kids i say this to head teachers all the time you know, most head teachers, they'll define their job by saying, you know, it's to provide the best education for the children. It's not about, for the head teacher, they hardly ever see the kids, you know, with the way their job is. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's just the way, the way it is. So it's, um, I always say, you know, head teachers, you've got to look after the people who look after the kids. And if you can create that culture where teachers do feel valued, feel appreciated, feel that like they're, you know, trusted to do the job that they're very much capable of doing. Then it takes after you know everything else takes care of its, you know take care of itself. But I do really appreciate that, mate. I really, really do. It's um, you know it's exactly why I do what I do. And and people say you know how 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 do you fit it all in? But you know when you f- when you feel like you've got the opportunity to help so many teachers, um, you know it sort of gives you that extra bit of energy, and you know you don't mind spending the time doing it. I suppose. So I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Pleasure.
0: Lee Parkinson.
2: Thank you for being our
0: guest on Classroom 101.
2: Now, thank you very much for having me. Cheers.
1: When education's in pretty bad shape, teachers are leaving, a planet never escape It's not enough time to teach the things you should. Time to manage education, since you do it if you could. Time for Classroom 101. Time for Classroom